Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Good evening, primetime partiers. It's primetime party time. Welcome back to our hour of all things media and entertainment, live on the air at 9 p.m. at ptptshow.com and on your time, wherever you stream podcasts. Tonight, we are going to strap on our moon boots, take to the skies in our bebop with our trusty data dog to groove to the real folk blues. That didn't give it away enough. Tonight's episode is all about cowboy bebop. We are going to share our favorite moments from this legendary, dare I say it, groundbreaking anime series while also making our own hypotheses on how this anime will translate to Netflix upcoming adaptation to the live action. I like that I just combined all of those words <laughs> and made up a new curse word. That's Good word. <laughs> um, yeah. So we will go into our toasts and roasts before we talk about Netflix. No. <laughs> before we talk about Cowboy Bebop. But yeah. Into the toasts and roasts. I'll start with one of my toasts that I got the uh, second shot of the vaccine a couple days ago. Feeling a lot better today, but that's definitely a good hurrah for science. Hurrah for less anxiety, but also means I got a little bit of brain fog, so mm-hmm. might be why, you know, I do things like, say, net fluxery and <laughs> <laughs> other things like that. But I'm doing my best to keep my DJ reputation up there. Um, and the other toast I have for this week is that should be turned one. Yeah. <gasps> Happy birthday, Chibi, and congratulations to you. Yes. Yes. So a good week of celebrations and that. Um, yeah, Chibi did get doggy ice cream, which I have to say, I never knew existed until uh, now. I don't know if it existed before now, but I perhaps didn't spoil my dog enough in the past. So, yeah, they have things like there's a brand called Frosty Paws, but then they do other ones. They give you flavors? like. I think they're like a peanut butter-ish. That makes sense. And sometimes right. cheese flavored. They kind of, fun looking at the ingredients, seemed like like the Halo Top, like the protein-packed ice cream. So it seems like healthier. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. My roast is definitely that. I was also, my toast is also my roast. I was depleted this weekend from my vaccine. So I also was depleted by lots of deadlines in my life and slowly but surely resurrecting myself from both of those weights so things are looking up things are looking good and yeah all around all around good things this week i'd say my roasts are not too roasty and my toasts are feeling toasty so daniel how to you what is your toast and roast for this week i will start with not a roast uh but a mistake i have made on primetime party time, uh, that I did want to clear up is a couple of episodes ago, we had a great episode uh, called uh, The People versus the Suitcase. 
Um, it's episode 12. Uh, during that episode, I, I mistaken two Hollywood Reporter employees. Uh, and now that I'm obviously reading their work, uh, I realized that Daniel Feinberg, the critic, and Scott Feinberg, the host of Awards Chatter, are two separate people. Uh. Um, and as for my toast, well, speaking of things that we're doing on primetime party time, uh, yeah. I was honestly a little nostalgic for this place last episode and, and a little nostalgic for it this episode due to our uh, subject matter. And I wanted to kind of like revisit and, and document that, that I am feeling uh, nostalgia for, for this like restaurant called Les Julins that used to uh, exist in San Francisco. It is now gone. It was like a little Aww. jazz club uh, right outside oh. the Muni downtown. And uh, in our jazz class, we had to kind of go and and uh, basically like observe music. And I just kind of like, it was the right time, kind of right place for me. And so I'd start like slipping in, you know, if I was just downtown one night or, and it was yeah. like right there. Uh, and yeah, I'm just kind of like remembering, um, you know, just kind of like the vibe, the smoky atmosphere, the, uh, the regulars oh, yeah. playing the music. Uh, and, uh, you know, the staff, uh, you know, shout out to Asusena in particular for those uh, uh, double drinks. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and the owner was Gator. So go Gators. And uh, it was it was just like an interesting time and, and kind of place. Uh, it was there for me as a 23-year-old living in San Francisco for a couple years. I shut down while I was there, but, you know, Aww. Yoshi's was across the bay and uh, Bix is, uh, you know, a fine establishment. So, so that was kind of uh, just somewhat... Related to yeah. to kind of our, our recent episodes, and, and I'm feeling kind of nostalgic for it. Uh, speaking of, we're kind of uh, toasting with uh, with some. Well, what 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 are we drinking tonight? You might find. Yeah, so this we are toasting with a highball. So traditionally, a highball is usually whiskey plus soda. It's a very popular drink in Japan, um, but also the non-alcoholic mixer, which is always a carbonated beverage when you go there, can kind of be anything. I've gotten it with melon soda if I wanted it. Tonight we're doing ginger ale because it's what we had on tap. So little well, cheers. cheers to us. I know. And yeah, it definitely seems like the kind of drink a space cowboy would have, particularly one from Japan. So that's where we're going with this one. It's a great it's a great drink. It's one that has kind of been forgotten over here, but I think is having a slight kind of resurgence. So, yeah. Cheers to Cowboy Bebop. This may go down. It's one of my favorite series we're ever going to watch on this show. Uh, yes. I don't know. I don't know. Big praise? Big praise? But uh, big praise. it might. Uh, what, what is this show, Tracy? So, getting into the background on Cowboy Bebop. This show is a... An anime. The series creator is Hajime Yatate, directed by Shinichiro Watanabe. Music's by Yoko Kano and performed by The Seatbelts. The cast, the main cast members that you will come across is Spike Spiegel, played by Koichi Yamadera slash Steve Bloom. Jet Black, played by Unsho Ishizuka slash Bo Billingsley, 
Faye Valentine, played by Megume Hayashibara or Wendy Lee, and Edward, played by Aoi Tada or Melissa Vaughn. And we have both of the names out there because the voice actors are different if you watch sub versus dub. And it aired in 1998. There is 26 episodes and one movie. And this is an intentional run. You can watch it as of now on Hulu. But we do think that this show might change platforms as the live action adaptation is to be aired on Netflix. So that's something worth looking at going forward is where the show lives or if it's able to live on multiple platforms as a few shows are able to do. So I think it's also worth noting that this show is one of the first animes where people were pretty impressed by the dub version and the dub version became very universally enjoyed because in many cases of animes that came before, people really preferred the sub versus the dub. They did say that the voice actors on both are quite talented. Yeah, I didn't know this and kind of, I don't know, just with like the the few animes that I've seen in the past have, have sort of stopped trusting um, the dub immediately. So I like went straight into the sub on, on this show and it wasn't until I was so many episodes in that I swapped over for an episode and uh, realized that I was attached to the subcast. So I actually watched this entire series in the uh, sub, even though it is well-praised as, as one of the best. And I assume this is where Steve Bloom gets a lot of his recognition. Um, yeah. Did you have like a history with the show before we decided to do it uh, here on Primetime Party Time? Yeah. So my history of this show, and I didn't remember a ton of the plot before we started rewatching it, but I did recall watching this show as a kid. <laughs> it does have some mature themes, but... I think it definitely fell into the realm of kind of like an action show. So I do remember watching it like on either DVDs, I want to say, and then probably as well on Adult Swim, as we've mentioned in a previous episode where we went into Adult Swim, because this show is also famously known for being one of the first animes to air on Adult Swim and get a lot of traction there. I absolutely remember falling asleep to Tank. Um, and not much further on the show. I, I do remember some of the gunfights and whatnot, but, but I definitely I definitely remember uh, Tank playing on the TV as I was kind of dozing off, yeah. uh, which is the main theme of the show. Yeah. So, yeah, my thoughts on the show. I will go into a lot of the big picture aspects of this show, but I think one of the good things to note right off the bat is this show is kind of a hybrid of a few genres, so while it is definitely an anime, you're also getting in the Western element because they are kind of these like space cowboy bounty hunter. And then you're also getting the sci-fi because they're in space going after different planets, different people, different targets. And then you also get a bit of film noir and that's what you see a lot in the actual animation and the lighting particularly. And also kind of how they have these mysteries that are being unraveled, like about particularly Faye Valentine and Edward's backgrounds. And they have like these, you know, memory lapses that they're trying to get back. 
and that gets into more of that detective film noir genre. And it's good also to realize that even though this show aired in 1998, if you watch the animation, it does not feel super dated because of that. You can tell that they took a lot of artistic license on how the show was going to be seen. And it's similar to watching, yeah, film noir films from that era where although it was shot on not as kind of high tech of a camera as you get now, the quality of the shots are still quite good because it's a lot of intentional filming. And that's what you get with this. You got a lot of intentional lighting and setting And then you add in the jazz element, which is a trademark of this director. He likes to pair his animes with a specific genre. Um, If you've heard this guy's name before, he also created Samurai Champloo, which has a bit more of a hip hop pairing versus this one being jazz and blues. So a big part of this show, too, is kind of this meeting of Eastern versus Western values in an anime show because most of the shows you'll watch are based in Japan or have some sort of, you know, more of a Tokyo based setting a lot of times. Sometimes you get some countryside or other areas, but I'd say a good majority are or in like a mystical land where nothing matters. (laughs) Um, But for this one, you're getting the sense of a bit more of like a global community and thus as well a lot more of different influences coming in to inform the plot so the creator has said in an article that was released by ingn.com in 2017 that uh, a lot of his influences were lupin the third which is a anime that is really well known for being a group of thieves that are kind of, they steal stuff, but then they're also kind of like, they're on the wrong side of the law, but every once in a while, like they also have their own version of enemies. And then there's like a detective character where like sometimes they team up with the detective to go against like the actual bad guys, but they themselves are not necessarily the good guys, which is kind of the same feel you get in this show. There's a lot of like, they're not necessarily a troop of Girl Scouts, but they're <laughs> I mean, also they have their own moral compasses that they that they follow that other people are kind of further off the straight and narrow. And so they kind of there's a lot of defining right and wrong in this show. But yeah, Lupin the Third is quite a influence it's also noted as an influence for indiana jones so there's just a lot going on there hmm. that show has been very influential for a while because it started in the 70s and was still going until recently but oh, if you wow. look at the actual crew that's on that show you can draw a lot of comparisons because it's a similar setup i mean if you haven't watched loop in the third i think the closest thing i can think of even though it's not quite as on point would be kind of the Scooby and the gang go to space (laughs) and get it and get a little bit more bounty and high tech. So that's the best I can, I can tell you, but um, for, if you are familiar with Lupin the third spike and Lupin are very similar characters. Jet and Jian are also 
Faye and Fujiko served the purpose of being the kind of like strong and I guess the best comparison for non-anime watchers would be like a Bond girl who kind of uses her appearance but also has even more spy smarts than maybe the others and is kind of able to like manipulate her way in and out of scenarios and vicious with his swordsman skills is similar to Goyman. And I got a lot of this from an IMDb trivia board. So if you look it up there, you can find this. And a lot of people on Reddit have also done the dirty work of finding actual quotes and actions that the characters have taken that are the same as some on Lupin the Third. So there's really? definitely supposed to be some comparisons there between the characters and a nice note to that. And if you're not familiar as well, this is a lot of looking at the roots of different shows and stretching comparisons. But Lupin the Third is also related to this movie called The Castle of Cagliostro. And upon watching it, me and friend of the show, Sean, also thought the animation was very similar. But that's also how there's a similarity in certain fight scenes to how Hayao Miyazaki does the animation in Nausicaa. So that was listed on one of the episode descriptions on Wikipedia. So there's a lot of nods to Miyazaki as well to Lupin the Third throughout this series, which I think is correct because this is, I don't know if I want to say this is like highbrow anime because I don't want to put down other animes. But it is definitely in a different genre of it feeling more like film than like animation. Yeah, yeah. There's, I didn't pick up on a lot of those uh, big picture references. So that's really interesting to know. There are a lot of fun references to different films within the episode contents. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I also don't know how to kind of like separate it from other anime, though I do think that that's a, a warranted distinction. It is very deliberate, and oftentimes I, I forgot that I was watching animation just in the shot composition and, and the low-key lighting and and uh, the, the even like what felt like honest set design, um, yeah. you know, at times. It, it, it's really kind of a weird, wonderful, deliberate show. Um, yeah, the creative intention to be in within one season is very like you feel that going through this these episodes because it is very paced it wraps it up it doesn't rush it gets to a point that the creator wants to get to not where the audience who's attached to the characters wants to get to so <laughs> that is clear and it's also why it's good it is. Because it doesn't go past its prime. And there's a quote from this director saying that he's extremely influenced by Star Trek, but also didn't want to go on and on like Star Trek, even though, you know, you can't make a space expedition show without mentioning some Star Trek, even right. though I'm not a big Trekkie. But I did do my due diligence and research. So, yeah, this is definitely a capsule type show. Yeah, and not my to favorite. Oh, sorry. oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say not to say that the um that the show is as deliberate as it is. There are twenty six episodes, and there were really only uh, I don't want to give a number to it, but like half a dozen episodes were like 
delegated to the actual main plot of like Spike's past yeah. and basically the themes of him running from his past, um, not ready to confront death and whatnot. Uh, with that, the, there are a lot of bounties of the week episodes where I feel like a lot of the spirit of the show is in. Um, so it is yeah. fun because it is really deliberate and it's really concise uh, and it, it it does know where it's going from beginning to end. But there is a lot of time with the characters that's not devoted to kind of vicious and the syndicate, which is really fun. Speaking of, what are your favorite episodes throughout this series, whether they're plot related yeah. or not? I have to say a big part of the episodes that I liked from this show are the ones that are not. Well, I mean, the episodes I talk about do have some plot driving factors, but mm -hmm. I agree. I actually think I enjoy the ones that are less crucial to the plot than the ones that are. And that's yeah. just me. I just, I enjoy the bounty of the week. I would watch that for probably three to four seasons and be really happy with that. I think that's the show doing its job though, right? Because they're, yeah. they're basically the characters are delaying their inevitable fates by hanging out with their makeshift family on the, on the bebop. Um, so the yeah. dread of when an episode comes by that advances the plot. Like I know staring down the, the barrel of the two parter at the end of the series there, I was feeling dread uh, because you yeah. kind of know like, Oh no, like we have to confront this of course. Um, but yeah, all these bounties of, of the week are, are perfect. Um, but yeah, a few bounties, a few sessions, let us say, that are my favorite. The first one that comes to mind is Stray Dog Strut. Mm. It's also, I really love that all of these episodes have some sort of musical pun or theme to it. Um, it, it just kind of adds a nice touch, and I love it from a writer's perspective. But this is the one that introduces the Data Dog. So as you know, if you've seen even any posters or advertisements for Cowboy Bebop, you have run into the Corgi that meets this crew. And the way that the Corgi comes into fruition, oh, little lovable iron, is that the bounty takes Spike and Jet to Mars where their target is holding this lab animal. Um, the person that they're looking for uses plastic surgery to change their appearance. And then when they find that their valuable lab animal has been stolen, they're trying to get it back. So there's a lot of back and forth thing with the Bebop. There's also the lab that's keeping track of them. And eventually they kind of get their smarts together to put a tracking device on the dog so that they can both pinpoint their target as well as get the dog back. And I think what I love is that kind of the the dog, the Ein, eventually kind of reluctantly is brought into the ship and isn't necessarily like, yay, we got a dog. They're kind of like, I guess like we gotta, gotta keep this one. <laughs> and, but the best part for me is when they put like some, like radar on to try to lure in the corgi, but it makes all the dogs from the entire city come out as well. So there's just like this hordes of dogs like running the street. It's just hilarious. Um, it's also all of the episodes introducing the main characters 
of this show are really solid episodes. Agreed. They they set the scene really well. Another episode I really like is My Funny Valentine. And this does the entire backstory on Faye Valentine. She always discusses having this large amount of debt against her. And you're always wondering, like, how did she get it? Was it from gambling? Was it from this? Because she kind of, like, parades herself in a certain manner where you think, like, you she kind of, like, got into trouble by being just kind of a badass. <laughs> But what actually happened is that she got into an accident and medical science at that time could not heal her. So they cryogenically froze her for 54 years. And then eventually by like around 2068, or at least that's the year they mark when she wakes up, they had had time to heal her then. But even as she's getting healed by this doctor who does not seem very sympathetic to her at all, um, they are adding up what her hospital bills will be for both being frozen and then getting the procedure and then being released. And it's this kind of, I mean, their currency there's like called like war, war goes, I want to say. And it's like this really large amounts, like 300 million or something. And so... I know I could fact check that amount, but it's not that important to this episode, but it's it's just more than she could pay off easily. They told her it will take 54 years of her making steady payments. Ironically, it's the exact, the amount of time that she was frozen, which Mm. you're kind of like, Hmm, uh, that she will have to do this. And I think the main quote that I took from this episode that I thought was really compelling is it's not, she says, to her comrade that's kind of helping her process what has happened to her and you know she tries to kind of run away and then he catches up with her and she says in kind of as like she's exhausted she's you know bewildered by all of this news and she's like it's not fair to revive me and make me pay all this money and I want to say that that is probably still a accurate commentary on our healthcare system today. <laughs> and many people could relate to that, especially after this year. So I was, I was watching that and going like, wow, one kind of like thing I was drawing from episode to episode is a lot of the themes they choose are, I don't want to say evergreen, but I want to say that they're just like these bigger issues that will that take so long to solve that they're still relevant now yes absolutely yeah it's 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 not uncommon for this show to end an episode and just kind of break down the metaphor and (laughs) tell you exactly what it was about in in a quote you know elegant like that and sometimes a a little less subtle um (laughs) and yeah it's true it's uh, these things are big issues and they they take a long time to solve and, and so you can watch this show and uh you can decide if after 20 years this should we, we should, you know, it's it's uh, still it's if it's a good thing that this is still relevant. Um, you know, I I want to shout out because we're talking about Faye. Uh, yeah. One of the episodes that re- or one of the sessions that really stuck with me was number 18, Speak Like a Child, which furthers her backstory. Um, and I'll, I'll read this episode description. I got off the Cowboy Bebop wiki because a good wiki cares. Uh, a mysterious package comes for Faye with a beta cassette. While Faye runs, thinking 
it to be from a debt collector, Jet and Spike undertake an arduous search for a player to view it. They find it is a clue to Faye's past. So basically, Faye gets sent this package, which seems like she might have sent it to herself and it got lost in postage for 54 years. <laughs> that that's an interpretation um and one i obviously love this episode because in 27 or what 2171 whenever this show takes place whatever date that is uh watching spike and jet search around for an old late 20th century like player for physical media is hilarious and also um Faye's story which is unraveled when they do watch this video they've been trying to find a player for all episode and they find out that it is a video of Faye. Uh, there's this like incredible editing sequence where the video kind of like come, you know, the, the kind of the static comes into focus. You kind of see the video and you're noticing the purple hair. You're noticing that it's going to be Faye. Um, and you see like Spike and Jet and, and the characters, you get these shots of them figuring like, being terrified at like what they're seeing, you know, like, oh my God, like, what is this? This is Faye. Um, and then it just lets the video play out and it doesn't show you Faye's reaction until the very end of the video. Um, and she still doesn't have her memories. She still doesn't really know what to think about that video. And the entire time as you're unraveling that it is Faye and you're trying to find the meaning, uh, when it kind of cuts back to Faye at the end of that, and, and you find yourself as the viewer in the same, in the same space. It, it's such a good moment. Uh, really made that session stand out to me. Yeah. Her character growth and the unraveling of her mystery slash history is probably one of my favorite subplots of this show. Agreed. Yeah. Her, her backstory was the most compelling for me on this watch. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, out of the main cast. And, and you do spend a lot of time getting the backstories of Jet and Edward and obviously Spike. Um, and both Edward's and Faye's backstories sort of, uh, like, reach their point in, in the same episode uh, or in the same session, which is session 24, uh, right before right before the two-part finale, uh, Hard Luck Woman. And, and it, it is a real payoff for Faye. Uh, what other uh, sessions were, were you into? Another session I was into was I really liked the Gateway Shuffles episode, mostly because they take on this crew of eco-terrorists, which also reminded me of the Portlandia eco-terrorists. <laughs> Portlandia and, so and Cowboy got, Bebop. That's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. That crossover is what we're really hoping for on this show. Um, but yeah, it was really hilarious, but it also, this one takes a lot more of a serious tone on that because these are actual people doing, you know, some pretty egregious, violent acts. Mm -hmm. uh, and which I also think that, that that plays into that same theme of them taking these difficult to solve kind of societal issues like environmentalism and how people should be doing more for it. But how you can also take it to an extreme like this. And they were showing that in this show. And especially since they were influenced by Miyazaki that does a lot of environmentalist theme in his content, you could see that they were going to put that in here too. Like they do kind of hit a lot of areas of like, what are struggles that are throughout everyone's experience? And they hit them up throughout a lot of these different bounty 
sessions. Another one is we could not talk about Cowboy Bebop without talking about the Jupiter Jazz Part 1 and 2 episodes. Those yeah. are very... These key. are seminal to the plot episodes. These unravel uh, Spike's past um, as well as give a lot of character to the antagonist, Vicious. Um, what about these sort of like stuck with you? For these, the ones that stuck with me is this is also where they have the fight sequence from the Cowboy Bebop wiki that they do say for the second one where they're going through all of his memories and the three-way battle takes place but Gren's memories of the past battles and the fight sequence are apparently stylistically influenced by 1984 film Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind which is also a movie that takes place kind of in a futuristic world where people have trashed the environment so bad that like everyone's in these kind of like metal masks and they kind of fly through these different areas. So you could kind of see how it's like, okay, this is within <laughs> this realm, a lot of kind of seeing that kind of crossroads between technology and not taking care of the environment and how those come together. Right. But yeah, as you said, this one is also where you're getting a lot of that plot between Vicious and Spike. And also then you also have, you know, Faye doing her thing <laughs> too and running off and kind of causing drama. And then Edward's looking for her. And then it's also where you see Julia coming into the picture as well. It's it's an important episode, I think, for getting the entire kind of cast of characters involved and how they intertwine with each other. So this is definitely to where you get actual jazz <laughs> in the episode since Gren is a saxophone player. So you have all of the aspects of this show are kind of coming through and they want to start speeding up the plot here for sure because i think a lot of these before it's like you're getting the introduction to the characters then you're kind of getting those bounties of the week and this is hitting about midway through the series actually quite exactly so it's the 12th and 13th sessions so they kind of know like all right at this point we kind of gotta amp up where we're going to, the direction we're going to be going to in order to close out the show at a good pace. Especially so, because the episode right before this is probably the least serious of the entire series. Um, Toys in the Attic, session number 11, like floored me. I've never seen a series just decide to do Alien out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> the synopsis for this is a mysterious something is sneaking around the Bebop and biting the crew, leaving nasty purple welts. Eventually, Spike is the only one left and must prepare himself to save the ship. Uh, and it's played out like horror. And at the end of it, 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 it's very implied that everybody dies from this blob, uh, minus Edward, who's able to eat it. And uh, and there's a really fun sort of like, uh, they always do those next time on Cowboy Bebop previews. And Edward tells the viewers that the show is now called Cowgirl Edward and they're going in a different direction and, and how she's sad to lose her castmates before Jet and Spike uh, kind of 
bark in and, and say, no, we have the we have a very important plot two-parter coming up. So definitely stay tuned. This is not the end of the series. Uh, but I don't know. I, I just, I've never seen a series just decide to do that um, and just pay homage to to a movie and and have that much fun right in the middle of a of series. And right, in, right before the series sort of does uh, take a very serious, very plot-heavy turn. Um, did you have any others? Now, I was going to add on to that, that we will link all the articles I'm talking about in the show notes, but they do actually list Alien as a strong influence for the show as well. <laughs> it's, so it's tough to do. That, it's tough that to particular do. episode is very key. <laughs> it's tough. What, what year was Alien? It's very tough to do anything in space after this movie um, that doesn't in some sort of way 19 yeah it's very it's very tough to do anything in space after 1979 um in the visual medium that is not taking from alien in some sort of way or another it was kind of a game changer it's a very landmark alien movie almost everyone does at least a spoof if not a you know tribute too i also really liked and i wanted to get your read on this at mm. the episode about jamming with edward where mm. they're the where the crew enlists the help of an elite computer hacker named radical edward to help them track down a bounty head who's been vandalizing earth's surface with hacked laser satellites the reason i say this is because to kind of add on to my kind of take from this show is taking a lot of plagues on society that continue to play out is hackers <laughs> uh-huh. and the influence and kind of how they can be problematic, how they can, you know, cause these really vicious attacks as well as how they can also do good and help out the bebop stop the, you know, it's kind of that spy versus spy mentality. I think you get that a lot on this show with the bounty hunters versus bounty hunters and I'm sure if anyone's watched The Mandalorian, you know, you're kind of also, there's that Star Wars version of the bounty hunters as well, where there's kind of the good ones and the bad ones and the in-betweeners. And they, you know, the Bebop definitely displays kind of the, you know, we're not doing everything on the straight and narrow, but we're also not doing anything against our own kind of family units moral compass but yeah what's your read on that episode or as if it's not one that stuck with you it's definitely one that sticks with you and i think it's for a couple of reasons one thing to shout out is with edward and the, the the hacking aspects of the show in general it's always fun to see how a 1998 series visualizes a 22nd century internet and so I always kind of found that funny uh, because you spend a lot of time with Edward in, in her goggles, kind of like searching. Uh, with that said, like, it was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, I believe it was one of the first times we had gone to Earth in Cowboy Bebop. And yeah. Earth is, it's not in as great a shape as as Mars or Ganymede or, or any of these other places that people have set up in, in this world. And... Two, uh, I feel like Edward, as a late addition, somewhat changes the show 
the first several episodes are really dark. We were talking about the low-key lighting, and, and also a lot of them open up with firing squads on certain characters um, in these, these really intense, violent scenes. Edward is, is not that way. She is so playful, and her episode... Uh, all I can think of when 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 I think of it is like Edward's theme in that episode, her musical cue, which is just so childish and 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 fun, and and in a way it, it does like I don't know it. I I can't really say to when Cowboy Bebop does make any shifts, but I feel like it does sort of like spend time in certain like exploring certain things in in similar proximity to like certain episodes with each other. Uh, so, you know, like, we don't really get those dark episodes again. And I'm not going to say, like, that the Edward introduction marked the shift. Uh, but, like, from a broad standpoint of, like, just watching this series recently, it was definitely very dark. Then it was somewhat, like, fun adventures once Edward joins the cast. And, and it sort of does loosen up a little bit. And it has a little more fun with itself. And it brings in a new perspective. And I don't think that we got a, a similarly dark episode again until number 20 with the theme park. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I felt that that was kind of like the biggest, the biggest sort of like uh, addition with that episode. Yeah. I also think once Edward joins, he bring, she brings a sense of comedic relief to a lot of the episodes. Like I remember an episode where, Faye is tanning and she's putting on sunscreen oh, yes. and Edward kind of comes up and is like she's like what are you doing with that and she's like well you know you have to do all these things to keep your skin from looking good but also it's useless and futile and Faye kind of goes like do you get it like useless and futile and Edward just kind of runs around it's like yeah 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 skincare it's <laughs> so funny futile. and it's it's just one of those moments where like she brings a lot of just kind of airy comedy to this show or like there's the episode where they're running out of food and she has like a little like kind of like pebble capsule that she's trying to like hide and eat and then everyone's like hovering over her like what do you have is that the mushroom samba episode I think so. Oh my god, I am so afraid Netflix is not going to adapt that episode. That uh, it is so it's much fun. So... It's oh, Edward yeah, and Ayn on a bounty hunt by themselves because they've run out of food and the food that Edward's able to bring back are these psychedelic mushrooms from a mushroom dealer. Yes. And so yeah, she cause... tests them out on Spike, <laughs> Faye and and uh and uh Jet leaving them pretty much incapacitated for the entire episode and it's an absolute joy of an episode. It's hilarious. I also love that Ayn eats the mushroom first oh, and then just kind of like hops hopping around, around on all four like... is so funny. It's so funny. It's it's exactly the relief you need after you take in a lot of the heavier plot Agreed. episodes. Ayn and then you get Mushroom Samba gags. that has no real issue other than they're like, oh my gosh, we've run out of food. Like, Spike, come on. And then they're all just kind of feuding. And then, yeah, Edward I, and I are like, okay, I guess like we'll go get the food. We did find these <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> I do. I do want to point out, uh, by the way, the uh, going back to the the sun tanning scene because I have nowhere else to put this in this episode. Uh, yeah. is that that I think that episode was number ten, the Ganymede elegy, and mm. 
that has a chase sequence in it that has some really great like first person shots um oh, and a chase sequence yeah. that starts during like sometime in the afternoon and, and ends at dusk and it is just one of those like beautiful uh series otherwise but yeah it's basically spike and spike and uh jet off to to basically deal with someone from jet's past uh while yeah Faye and edward have that conversation and it's just, yeah but um but yeah I, I would say mushroom samba was was if maybe maybe the most comedic episode um it was a blast an absolute blast yeah it's one of my favorites like among i definitely picked a lot of the more lighthearted episodes as my favorites except for phase backstory but i i do have just like a nice soft spot <laughs> for a lot of the ones that are more heavier on the comedy side mm -hmm. than they are on the action side because in the beginning you do watch it and go like oh, there is a lot more like gunshots than i realized on this show and then you get more into it and you're like okay it's not all firing squads all yeah. the time it's interesting. But it does start off that way a little bit it's such a versatile show because it does start like the first episode alone is like very poignant um not very comedic um though some, you know, spike is a nonchalant character in the opening uh but the actual story of the bounty that they go after is nothing like mushroom samba nothing like uh any of the other funny episodes but and then sometimes you'll get an episode in the middle like i really liked heavy metal queen number seven um that was about this truck driver and and she had this whole game where people would try to guess her name she went by vt um and she hated bounty hunters and so like her having to team up with the team to to catch this like legendary bounty hunter decker um, through like an abandoned mine was just that was that was like a great strong one-off you never see vt again you never need to um and then yeah and then there's there's this really dark episodes the theme park one for example number 20 uh was probably the darkest episode um that i remember and then and then yeah it gets real serious at the end um after again 24 um or session 24 which was the uh hard luck woman was you know, the end of Edwards and, and, and to a point phase story, though she does come back for the finale and, and, then, and then you get real serious uh, with the real folk, folk blues part one and part two uh, to end out like Spike versus Vicious and whatnot. Um, yeah, what else did we want to say about Cowboy Bob? I wanted to also take some time to think about how is this show going to bridge into a live action show. Mm -hmm. So some of the things we know now from reading different articles from Deadline and Inverse and IGN and Sci-Fi is that this series originally is in 26 episodes and each episode focusing mostly on a bounty, though there are the Jupiter Jazz part one and two and the Real Folk Blues part one and two. But apparently the live action will do 10 one hour episodes. So thus it will not necessarily be one bounty per episode. And for plot placing, that's plot pacing. That's where we get into how will this show be? Are they going to combine? Are they going to dilute? We won't know until it comes out, but I think that's structurally one part beyond it no longer being animated that I think it's good to have some differentiation when you're making a new version of something so on one one hand it would be if they did everything episode to episode it might make lovers of the show too easy for them to be like well you miss this part 
it's <laughs> also there. Yeah, and that's that's it seems unnecessary and uninteresting. Like we've been speaking all night about how the show is very, for lack of a better word, filmic itself. Uh, why would you need yeah. a shot for shot? It's already done that. Yeah. So, and I do wonder if they're going to take a classic film approach to this show or have it be a lot more high-tech sci-fi. Mm, okay. Do you think it needs it? I felt like a big part of, like, I, I don't think, obviously you don't need to do the shot for shot. You don't need to have it exact. You don't need to, uh, if we're getting 10 episodes, it's pretty obvious we're not going to introduce Edward in episode nine. And if I'm wrong about that, no. great. But I just, I don't, I <laughs> we'll don't feel, later. yeah. I, I, I You know, it, it's that kind of structural stuff that you can play with and you can play with, uh, you can honestly play with the extent of who Spike and uh, Faye and, and Jet are to to some extent, and, and you should be able to see new versions of these characters with quirks to them that may be exclusive to the Netflix show. But I feel like a, a lot of Cowboy Bebop is the interesting world that it lives in. A lot of it is that low-key lighting. A lot of it is that like fun shot composition and and you know, in the sounds of it and stuff like that. Do you think that it needs the that sort of what you were saying, or do you think that it could go in a different sci-fi direction um, and, and really, like, turn either a new tone or, or whatnot? Like, what do you think it needs? I'm open to where it ends up. I Part of me would like to see it be a little bit on the vintage side only because... I think a big part of why I like this show and why a lot of people do is because it does have this, like, even though it came out in 1998, it almost feels like an older show because it goes into Western and jazz as big parts of the show and how it kind of plays out and the tone of it. But in an interview with the new Netflix creator, Griot, it's Javier Grio Marhawk. Excuse me if I have not pronounced this correctly. But he was talking about how he's been producing the live action. And one of the quotes that he says that I think is quite telling of what we're going to receive is, you've got an entity that is very much a kind of gathering together of influences that were very important in post-war Japan jazz, American pop culture, the whole sort of cowboy thing, reality television. So you're looking at a show that's already a commentary on the influence of American pop culture with Japanese culture in the future in space. And then we're taking that and we're trying to translate that not just in English, but also a format that is not the original format of the show. So I think what he's kind of saying is what we're kind of been mulling around here is because there's so many layers within the animation, and then they're taking that and adapting that to live action. And you want to think, too, that they'll make it kind of modern since, you know, a couple decades have passed. Yeah, that. there are some things that they have to. Um, they, yeah, and, and I'm kind of open to that. I like when new depictions take liberties so that you're not getting it just cut for cut. Because I think when you do cut for cut, people just find ways to pick apart at it when you yeah. do it completely differently you know you'll have a split audience of people who like it and people who are like i can't i need the original i won't do it but you'll also find a lot of people who will discover this one for the first time 
and then go back and rewatch the anime. Right. So I think that will very much happen since this show is a bit, it's on the older side for us, but for say a Gen Z audience, it's going to be quite old. So that's going to be interesting for how this show gets a resurgence, both in the anime and in the live action. But yeah, I am okay with if they don't necessarily stick to the entire film noir style. But if they did do that, I would appreciate it. So there's that. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Yeah, whatever they do, as long as... uh, It seems like it'll... It it, it seems like it's a worthwhile endeavor. This this just has so many influences to it that it it feels like... And and those influences you can swap out as long as it's inspired. It, It just feels like a dream project to to kind of like jump into just because of like what it is and and how it does pay attention and how there are sort of like there's there's a blueprint for not exactly like like you say like following along to the t but but there are there are ways to to sort of like come on and be like well this this aspect of the show is inspired like what do you want to do here you know like there's there's so much room if you really love this to go in and and kind of like make a mark where with whatever whatever aspect it is, you don't have to start from scratch. There's, it, it, it seems like an absolute dream. Um, and it seems like it yes. is begging for a live action adaptation. Um, I think so too, because it doesn't feel completely like a cartoon when you watch it. I did look at this and go, this is great bones for a live action adaptation. Not so- every thing I watch, I go, they should make a live action. And sometimes when you hear news, you're like, I don't know how that one will work. But this is one where you watch it and go like, this will work really well. Even if it's not the same vibe, you're like, all of the, you know, foundation is there. Also, does Netflix have a a flagship uh, sci-fi or space series right now? Like we Prime Video has The Expanse and Disney Plus as you know, the Mandalorian as a bounty hunter show and an army of other Star Wars shows. And yeah. so like a lesser extent, Apple TV has For All Mankind, which uh, from what I can tell is more in space than not these days. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't know, there's a couple I, properties I could point to HBO if they wanted to pick something up. But uh, if does Netflix have one of these or, or do they need a, 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 like if they need a flagship space property, I can't think of any right now. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is, is an amazing one to adapt. Yeah. I can't think of one off the top of my head that they have. So it does seem like from a content strategy point of view, they would want to have this since, yeah, all of Marvel has moved to Disney Plus. So they need something that since they don't have Guardians of the Galaxy. Bless you. No, not sure that they did. Yes. Um, But yeah. Um, I think another side note before we wrap up this, and it's quite a silly one at that, is mm. one of the things I really enjoyed, and this will be interesting because I could totally see it as something that gets cut, but at the same time, I love it, is the big shot where it's this like little Western news update for bounty hunters where like these two cowboys come up and like kind of give the update on all things bounty hunter news <laughs> yes. and they kind of use it as a ploy to give you know the bebop team kind of like this is what's happening with <laughs> in the world with their right. projects and 
it's I always found them to be another bit of comedic relief but I also could see it as something that's cut because it's not really like required (laughs) in the show but it's also one of the aspects that I really liked I'm like I like that they have like a little news segment that is completely not serious (laughs) that interrupts certain parts of the show to be like big announcement from the big shop and it plays like this banjo yeah i i'm so glad you mentioned big shot that's such a fun part of the show um and yeah i i I can see it being different but i hope that they do keep the sleaziness of it um it's it's fun that it is such a yeah it, it, it is i also love that it's a popular show like bars would just have it on um, <laughs> all, all the characters were in bars and stuff, even though it is distinctly speaking to, and they say the number of people that its target audience is. You can, like, there must be a registry of bounty hunters or something because it knows its audience. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. The Big Shot is a hilarious show within a show. Um, yes. I yeah. I felt like it's kind of like the itchy and scratchy show for The Simpsons where you're like, it's not like this is necessary for the show, but it definitely makes it a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um maybe it, maybe shows within a show is something we should do at some point um do you have anything else on love- Cowboy Bebop? i you know i think we're about at that point where we should just blow this place off here we go okay three two one let's jam stand up pride time party time nice uh the show could have made without the following amazing people our artwork was done by fen at fen Lante on instagram our theme song was done by jay wright at jwrightmusic.com is where you can find him our website and thanks to coco uh we are here ptptshow.com monday nights at 9 p.m uh we're also wherever else you want to find your podcast feeds uh you can hit us up we got a voicemail on our site we got uh, info at ptptshow.com if you want to chat we have a chat room here uh that we can check over the week uh if you got something you want to say hit us up uh, and but until then, uh, listen live next Monday night uh, for more prime time party time. We have a little more time to play out here uh, before this comes up. We don't have any slideshows to show you. The Cowboy Bebop's end credits are really great. It's one of again oh, one yeah. of those shows where it's like ugh, getting to the end. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to sit through and, and watch this thing that I've seen 25 times. All over. I don't get tired of it. I don't get tired of the real folk blues. That's like the. Is this part basically just our, like, see you space cowboy card? <laughs> basically. <laughs> you can have your space cowboy. Oh, we didn't talk about Andy and their rivalry. Um, that was that was fun. <sighs> it was really fun. Oh, well. There's so much to talk about on this show. So much. There's, there's too much.